Hello and Happy New Year. If you're listening to this, it's January 1st of 2020, a new millennium. Um, I would like to introduce this first episode by saying I had Nick Cost in. We discussed his most recent release, Devastator, which I think is an excellent album. He really opened a vein and talked about his process and where the songs came from. And just in general, his journey of um, finding music. Um, a lot of his influences include... Uh, you know, Blink-182 and Dave Grohl and the Foo Fighters. Obviously, I started chatting with Nick on Instagram. Um, we both, I asked him at one point, I went to uh, the Electric Fetus here in Minneapolis, which is a record store, and I bought a Margo and the Nuclear So-and-So's album shortly after seeing Nick do a cover set of the whole Color and the Shape album by the Foo Fighters. Before he did that set, he did a set of his own music on an acoustic guitar by himself. And while I was at the Fetus, you know, a few months ago, or, you know, six months ago, I saw the Slingshot to Heaven, I believe it is called, album by Margo and the Nuclear So-and-Sos. And I listened to it, and I was like, man, this reminds me of a lot of the songs Nick Costa was playing on his acoustic guitar that night. So I messaged him on uh, Instagram and I said, hey, you ever listen to this album? It really reminds me of your stuff and I really like it. And he's like, oh, wow, it's one of my favorites. And then he uh, led me to go listen to a bunch of uh, Richard Edwards solo music. Richard Edwards is the writer for Margot and the Nuclear So-and-Sos and the singer and the you know rhythm guitar player. Um, and those records have been some of my favorite of the last year. I would recommend going and listening to any Richard Edwards album or uh, Margo and the Nuclear So-and-Sos. Um, anyhow, this interview um, is Nick Costa. I hope you enjoy it, and uh, let's go. Here we go. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Um, so I have today uh, with me Nick Costa. He plays all over the place. Uh, you play with four on the floor. You have your own solo stuff, and I'm sure there's a whole bunch of other stuff you're involved in based off of what I see on social media. Oh, yeah. So so welcome. Thanks for um, having me. Yeah, it's going to be super fun. This is my first soiree into this. Um, I'll judge you uh, very, very... I'll be a very big critic... Oh, good. I'm sure. Good. Yes. We're all about critics. I'll take notes. Yeah, we have uh, George G. Buckets here is the distraction factor. If you hear a dog that sounds like he can't breathe through his face, it's just a Boston Terrier. <laughs> Nothing to worry about. He's uh, he's really shown me a lot of love. He is. He is. He's overzealous. <laughs> so, so don't mind him. Hey. Um. But anyhow, let's get into it. Yeah. So who hurt you? Why do you play music? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> oh, where do I start with that? Yeah, no, you don't have to answer that, really, <laughs> but how did you get started? What made you decide you were going to do the art thing? Um, well, so I was like, when I was a kid, I was super into basketball. Okay. Um, and like that was like my life, like to the point where I, like in fifth grade and stuff like that, I asked my aunt, like my, my family always gives me shit for it. Um, where it's like, I asked my aunt, should I go to college or should I just go right to the pros? <laughs> like I was super, I was so convinced. I was like, I'm going to be a basketball player. Um, and then my older brother got a guitar for Christmas. Yeah. 
And um, and then right after that, we discovered Enema of the State by Blink-182. Okay. Like that was like the same year that album came out. And we were like, oh, like guitar is awesome. Like I want to play guitar. And so me and him would listen to uh, listen to that album and learn it like note for note. And so that's how we learned how to play guitar was just listening to it and just mimicking. And, yeah. that, and that was it. And that, so I, that's how I learned how to play guitar. That's cool. Um, and I've seen like you have the old school. Is it a, is that old Tom DeLong guitar you have? Is that a Squire? Or? No, that's a Fender. It's a Fender. I okay. have a, yeah, I have it. Uh, that was a little before my time, and I never saw those <laughs> till after they existed. Sure. The one pickup. Hey, hey, dog. <laughs> Calm yourself. The one pickup, uh, Tom DeLong Strat. I've seen those, and those are cool. Mm-hmm. Is that like a single coil or? No, it is a Duncan Invader. Duncan Invader. Okay. So it's it's a really high gain. Um, for a strat especially. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, and that's it. And there's only a volume knob. That which is awesome. That's cool. I yeah. know uh I know like his Epiphone at Gibson, he's been doing like the dirty fingers. Yeah. And I used yeah, to he have switched. Yeah, I used to have those in um in my Les Paul. Mm-hmm. And then I I switched out of it yeah. to these burst buckers. Around but, around the self-titled album, he switched to, to the 335. Right. With the same just a humbucker, just a volume. volume knob. If he wants it to be clean, I think he has like a different amp. I think he uses a Marshall for his clean. Okay. But or he did at the time. I know at one point, I think at least with Angels and Airwaves, he was rocking like AC thirties for dirty. That, that's his new thing, yeah. And like a Fender Twin. Twin for clean. Yeah. Or maybe it's the other way around. I don't remember. I think it is. I think you're right. Yeah. yeah. Um but I I actually played a show with it um not too long ago because I grabbed the wrong guitar. Like oh. I wasn't thinking. I was running out the door. I just grabbed a strat. I usually play a strat now. Okay. And so I grabbed a strat from my guitar rack at home, put it in um put it in like a gig bag or whatever. Got to the show, it was like five hours away, and I go put my guitar on and our bass player is looking at me just completely mortified. And I am just like, What? What's wrong? And I look down and it's the Tom <laughs> DeLong Stratocaster. But if you roll back the volume on it, you get like really great, clean. just crisp, clean. Yeah, it's beautiful and uh, and it's very like well rounded. Mm-hmm. So like I might actually keep playing. It plays great. Like it's an it's an awesome guitar, but it's very gimmicky. At yeah, the same yeah. Time. Well, right, right. I I hear you. Mm-hmm. Um, but so how does that factor in? Like, did that happen during one of your shows or a four on the floor show? It was a four on the floor show. Okay. Okay, because yeah. I was going to say your stuff for folks who haven't heard, uh, you know, your solo stuff from Devastator mm-hmm. or, um, you know, the live album from, I think it was 7th Street. No, that was uh, Warming House. Warming House. Okay, my yeah, bad. Yeah. No, it's okay. My bad. I, yeah. But anyhow, who have heard that, it does not sound at all like a Blink-182 aggressive guitar album. No. So no. you say that, and I'm just like, he came <laughs> out with Tom DeLonge, like, going full bore. Yeah, that was my vibe for yeah. a long time. It started it started like that. I was in, well, before then, too, it was like boy bands, you know? Okay. Like, like that's what was popular. Right. I mean, like, I would turn on the radio, Boys to Men would be on. I'd be like, yeah, that sounds great. Or, like, I love, I still love, like, Mariah Carey. Yeah. 
to my core, I love Mariah Carey. So Christmas season's going well for you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, so that's interesting. So did you find yourself in more punky bands like at that time? or? Yeah, so when I got into that, um, also because it was my older brother who found Blink-182, I had to find a competing band, and Foo Fighters released Nothing Left to Lose the same year. Oh. So I was like, that one's mine. I call that band. Yeah, I, I got dibs. Yeah, exactly. I was like, exactly. I was the less cool kid who gl- grasped on to like Sugar Cult, and I was just like, hell yeah, yeah Tim Pagnotta, Tim Pagnotta. Oh my God, those first two Sugar Cult records are so good. Actually, and like the other one, the last one they released was pretty cool too. I liked all of them, and I'm just like dead inside that they didn't make more. Yeah. I think uh, because for me at least with their records, I think what hurts me, what hurts me about this <laughs> is I'm just... They were all good to me, so I was like, "Oh, this next one's gonna be gr- oh, uh-huh. they're just done." Yeah, so, they're done. Yeah. Um, but the singer just wrote a song or a couple songs on the new Blink album. Yes, he did. Yeah, he did. Um, he's did Happy Day or um, I forgot which one. It was. God, I can't remember the title either. He wrote like this most recent like Weezer single too. Um, oh, he the, produced it or wrote it the, for the Van Weezer album. Yeah. That song is like that makes a lot of sense because that's one of their best songs that they've put out in years. Yeah, he's actually I think been more successful as a writer than yeah. he was as a yeah lead singer. Sugar Cult was rad though. I I loved it. I mean, he's done a bunch of Neon Trees and stuff like that. But yeah, oh, that we, checks out. I yeah. could yeah mm-hmm. I could talk uh, Sugar Cult for a while, but we're not here for that. Right. Um. So. The Foo Fighters, there's nothing left to lose. Like, mm. at what point does that transition into your writing? And when well, do you s- decide to start writing your own stuff? So, the cool thing about that record was, is like, there are songs on that, like, Stacked Actors, which is like super intense. Um, yes. That's w- like drop what? B? It's drop B. Yeah. yeah. And then, um, and then there's songs like Ain't It the Life, where it's like really calm and like, kind of folky and mm-hmm. just beautiful songwriting or like next year. Yep. Um, so I kind of like listened to that and it kind of made me realize like, oh, you don't really need to like stick to one lane. You know, you can, yep. you can be screaming in one song and then just like have four part harmonies in another song. And it's, and it can be cohesive and can, it can be like not completely crazy. Right. Right. I that, think that's why I loved Foo Fighters. And from album to album, I suppose you kept seeing that happen as you listened to them mm-hmm. because obviously you go from there's nothing left. Mm, no, it's color in the shape to there's nothing left to lose. Yes. And that's just a quiet, mellow, you know, you have. Compared to compared to color in the shape, nothing left to lose is, is real chill. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What's the Aurora? Oh, um, I love that song. That song's amazing. Uh. And then... And then after that, what is it? One by one, which is kind of one by one, kind of goes back to the loud and hard. And yeah, which it gets such a bad rep, but there's so many great songs on that album. I love that album. Like, uh, it's got uh, times like these, and uh, I think I think the song "Low" might be one of the most underrated Foo Fighters songs. I blame Jack Black for that one. They not got getting banned. Around. They the music video got banned in Canada. Yeah, and America. And uh, no, I think it was just America and not Canada. Right. Yeah. I think I had it backwards. Yeah, because and like for what? Because they were cross dressing. Like I think so. <laughs> that would totally fly now, which is funny because right. a lot of things wouldn't <clears throat> fly I mean, now. It's, it's kind of like they would. I don't understand. 
It's. It, I remember watching that when it came out and being like, "There's nothing wrong with this. Like, no, this is totally, I, this is totally fine." Hello, George. There's clearly someone out in the hall. Oh, he's got something to say. Yeah, he's got a lot to say. <laughs> he did not like one by one. Yeah, no, he um, wasn't a fan. Not a fan. No. And then their next record, obviously, is the probably the last one we'll talk about. But what was that one called? Was uh, that Echoes, Silence, Patience? No, not three. quite. That's the one where they did the double acoustic oh, record. Oh, In Your Honor. In Your Honor, where that it's just all loud and then all yeah. acoustic, which just, to your point, right. shows the dynamic Yeah, and the, uh, they have that song um, with Nora Jones called yep. Virginia Moon. Yep. That song is just... Such a brilliantly written song. Yeah. I love that song. I need, before we get off the Foo Fighters topic, mm, yes. I need to know what you think of uh, Cold Day in the Sun. Cold Day in the Sun. You don't remember it? No. Thank God. So we're proving my point against a buddy of mine. Oh, really? He's going to be on a later episode, but yeah, we were in this cover band when I was a kid, and we would just do cover bands. I was like 15. He was like 16. Mm-hmm. And we'd do these covers, and he'd be like, oh, he was way into the Foo Fighters. That's why I know all this stuff, just because mm-hmm. of my buddy. But he'd be like, oh, dude, let's do Cold Day in the Sun. I was like, nobody knows that. Nobody's going to no. enjoy that. He's like, no, dude, everybody knows it. So then we'd play it, and people no, would I love it. the Foo Fighters, and I don't know that song. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure if I heard it, I'd be like, oh, you, that one. You would know it, yeah. but... Uh, it's definitely obscure, and I'm happy you don't right now. Right, it's a deep, I, it's that's proving a, deep a cut. point for me. That's a deep <laughs> cut for sure. Yeah, yeah. So, getting into your writing, mm-hmm. what did you start? Did you start doing four on the floor first, or how did you get into more bands that you were traveling around more? Um, yeah, four on the floor was my first like touring. Well, not that's actually not true. Um, I played with a guy named Dan Mariska. Oh, okay. Um, Dan Mariska and the Boys Choir. Okay. Um, and we did a few tours of like, you know, like couch crashing, basement shows, just like pretty DIY um, all the way through, like playing in the middle of December in venues that don't have heat mm-hmm. and, and like crashing in really weird houses where m- one of my favorite memories was... Um, we stayed like we were like we asked one of the bands like hey can we stay at somebody's house and this guy was like yeah totally you just have to be out by seven we're like okay and then we found out that we had to be out by seven because he had high school the next day (laughs) and we were going to his his mom's house and their parents had recently divorced Mm. and his mom lived there but they didn't have any of the furniture because the dad got the furniture oh that's not how it usually works out. no so it was just like we walked in like well, oh maybe boy i don't know i've never been divorced yeah i uh, shouldn't assume right but anyhow but i don't know yeah so uh we got there and and the mom was just like oh thank god you're of drinking age and just started like feeding us booze <laughs> but um so like we'd end up in stuff like that i think um Touring with four on the floor was the first time, like, um, I had a bed every night. Oh, yeah. And, um, you had the high life, like, uh, you get hotel rooms and everything. We, we usually share one. Well, that's still, but that's still better than far not and having away one. above a lot of what people are doing. Risking scabies on a couch that somebody said they recently bleached. <laughs> so, did that happen? That happened. Oh, yeah. Wow. That was in Eau Claire one time. Well, that makes a lot of sense. You can sleep on the couch. It's totally clean. We bleached it yesterday. So then you start with uh, four on the floor, Mm -hmm. and you actually have a legitimate 
place to sleep and for the most part yeah 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 Yeah. so what's that been like for you how long have you been doing it i've been with four on the floor for the last five years okay maybe a little more than that so my history on them is a little rough did you uh start with them originally or no were you a core member because i know they've been around for a while no the only core member is gabe at this point okay oh this the singer um but yeah no i've been with them for about five years okay um and then, yeah, we've kind of switched out a couple other people but since then. But um, I think the lineup now is actually one of the best ones you've had. Well, that's great. That's yeah. super fun, and the shows are really fun for you, I would oh suppose. It seems like you guys get good crowds. Yeah, yeah. And, we and do. that's we, we have a lot of fun. That's what makes the show is really a good crowd. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can have a wonderful band, but if nobody knows... You're playing and nobody hears it. Right. Or is the fun in that? You might exactly. as well be in your basement. So. Well, I mean, and uh, I wouldn't even say that. I think there's a lot of, um, it's kind of like if you're a comedian, like you have to bomb. Yes. You know, if you're a musician and you're in a band, like you have to play to nobody. And mm-hmm. like you can, it's funny because we'll have shows where like we play and it's a sold out room and, you know, it's everybody knows who we are and then we'll go to the next town and there will be two people who bought tickets and they didn't show up. Like, mm. <laughs> yeah. So it, you have to kind of still do that. Mm-hmm. That never changes. And it's, it's kind of always very funny since music has been my job to like go from that contrast. Yes. Of being I'm like, sure. I can play to 500 people one night and then the next night in my town, I can play to four people. And right. you just kind of have to, go with it adjust with it i think at that point it's just you have accepted that you really really love playing yeah and it's still you're hanging out with your buddies playing music absolutely so in the scenarios i was in a band for a while where we played some shows around nothing big nobody really ever showed up so i did a lot of bombing but we made took those as opportunities to have like extra fun yeah where we would try some new stuff do you find yourself ever doing that in the scenario where maybe it's you oh get boy. a little more adventurous where if it turns into oh yeah a dive like maybe we shouldn't have gone down that road yeah i mean especially with four on the floor there's some uh there's some chances that get taken yeah for sure um a lot of times if i'm playing solo um like the shows that that like are really terrible mm-hmm. like and i don't want to be there anymore or like they're bomb like they're bombing shows just nobody's paying attention yeah. So people are just talking over you. So I'll just play really random covers and just be like, yeah, we'll see. We'll see if anybody can catch this like blink deep cut. Yeah. That's like sad and acoustic and see if anybody picks up on it. Or like, um, what's one I did? I did uh, End of the Road by Boys to Men <laughs> one time. <laughs> and that like kind of got some people like, oh. And it's never the cover that I think it's going to be. Like I'll play like, like what's my age again or something like that and nobody will do anything but one time at a show i played priests and paramedics by pedro the lion like a real deep cut like yeah no way too deep for me. not a very popular (laughs) song and then somebody came up and was just like i loved that pedro cover and i was like how we're in rochester like what is happening people in rochester have never heard that song good we have a bazan fan that's great yeah that's that's awesome yeah that's awesome um yeah 
Yes. Hello. Yes. Um, so from there, like, uh, your solo music, um, mm-hmm. I know you just came out with Devastator this year. Yeah. And that's a very cool record. Oh, thank it's, you. Yeah, it's got spots where it's kind of a bummer, but it feels nice. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Is that mostly, when you wrote that, is that pretty autobiographical or? Yeah, extremely. Extremely? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, um, my brother passed away. Okay, I'm sorry to hear that. And thank you. I didn't um, know that. Yeah, and so a lot of that song, a lot of those songs are um, my grief process. Okay. Where I was pretty much writing my way through it. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're very autobiographical and they're very sad because that was one of the most devastating times of my life. Right. Understandably yeah. so. I kind of had to, um, sorry, bump oh, the you're mic. good. kind of had to figure out, um, how, how to redo everything, you know, mm-hmm. how to rethink everything about ev- it's It's crazy how it just obliterates you. Yeah, you kind of have to reconstruct your whole yeah almost understanding of everything, I you would do. imagine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's one of those things where folks like me who have not experienced that can try to imagine it, but mm-hmm. you just don't. And the fact that people say, well, everybody reacts differently to that sort of thing. You can, sure. you know, you can try to think about what it would be like, but you don't know what you would do or how you would react till it happens. Right, um, yeah. So with that in mind... Um, looking at some of those songs, I remember looking on your Instagram and you're, you're a top grade Instagram follow. You got <laughs> some good jokes. Thank you. Um, cooking show was rad, oh, but yeah. oh, boy. kind of, uh, how this ties into it is I remember when you were kind of recording this record, I kept seeing you post stuff. It's kind of funny how I recorded all of this and I've already done a full album before this and I'm going to end up Based off of what I heard and what you posted, I mm. thought you did basically a complete album or EP, and then did you scrap it and move on to the new record? No, I have another one. Oh, you have a full another one, and you just yeah. haven't released it yet? Right. So um, me and August Ogren mm-hmm. worked out of the petting zoo in, in um, northeast Minneapolis um, last last year. Okay. Um, like right about at the time... Devastator was I was kind of planning on releasing it. Okay. Um because I didn't know what to do with it. It was such a personal record that like I was kind of scared. A little it, it's vulnerable. It yeah. And um and that's and that's why I ask because you know, hearing how personal of a subject that is and how close it is to you, obviously to me looking back on it and putting two and two together, I'm like, oh wow, well this stuff hits hard. Yeah. And you know, is that something where you do all of this and, you know, that inspiration happens and then it just becomes something you put before what you had? Or is it, you know, what you're saying, it kind of sounds like, well, this was super personal and I was I didn't know what to do with it. And, you know, how does that decision get made? Yeah, well, um, it was actually my my girlfriend. Okay. Um, who, she, when we had first met right around this time last year. Okay. Um, and so when we were getting to know each other, I was just like, oh, yeah, um, I have this album that's done. Mm-hmm. And uh, and she listened to it, and she was just like, why isn't it out? And I'm like, because uh, I'm terrified to put it out. And she really pushed me mm-hmm. to release it. But even when I started this next one, I was I still wasn't sure. Like I was like, maybe I'll do this one first, and then 
do the next one, but then like this one sounds like a step forward and then that one will be a step back. Mm -hmm. So I didn't know what to do with that. So I just put it out. I just decided like, I also was worried about it like either getting swept under the rug or me not doing it the right way because it was such like a memorial to my brother. Right. Where like if I put a lot of pressure on myself right for it so i think that i kind of just let go of those things mm-hmm. and just said like i'm just gonna put it into the world and see what happens yeah and uh and i i think i think it turned out pretty cool yeah it's very cool sounding yeah. album it's very to me at least it it sounds very organic yeah um did you track most of it live or so did you do it piece by piece we did uh, piece by piece. So um, Brock okay. Parks, who co-produced that record with me, mm-hmm. um, we did the drums, and then I played everything else. Okay. On the record, so yeah, we had to do it piece by piece. Okay. Well, it still feels very live yeah. to me. I think um, so too. I think we did a pretty good job mimicking that. Yeah, because to me, when I listen to it, I hear it, and it feels like things were played live, mm-hmm. and that you know it wasn't edited to death. No, um, I hate that. Right, right. <laughs> Which drives me crazy. I don't hate it. I, I come from this weird world of I love pop music, but at the mm. same time, I love organic music. You and I have talked about a lot of random music we're listening to. Sure, but well, I think know. I think there's a place for music that's edited to hell. You know, like oh, definitely pop music and stuff like that. Like I even listened to the new the new Blink One Eighty Two a couple times and Which, was just like, for what this is, it's great. Mm-hmm. It's completely a robot doing everything at this point, but it's good. Yes, yes. And and like you know, uh, I can think of a couple pop pop records recently where I've just been like, yeah, this is a good pop record. Yeah, this isn't what I would do with my music, but I think this is good. Right. Silverstein um, should be edited to death. I get it. <laughs> uh, yeah, totally. It's a bad reference. Mm, yeah, but, that's a deep. That's a deep. But cut. you know what I mean. You know what I mean. That's what I yeah. was trying to do. Make right. sure you knew what I meant. Absolutely. But anyhow, it, it sounds really organic to me. It doesn't sound like you guys went through and tuned the vocals to death or anything. It sounds like a real record, almost like you guys sat down and just played it. Well, thank you. Which I think is really cool. Yeah. Um. The next one is even more like that. Okay. Because we, we did do, um, I played guitar and sang, and then August played drums, and we just did that in one room. Then you added over And then dubs. we added to that. So it, it is live. Like, those takes are at the same time, vocals, guitar, everything. Like, it's all done, and then we just layered. Very cool. Yeah. Does that take on a similar vibe to Devastator, or? I would say, um... Musically, it, at least. Kind of. Um, I mean, I am who I am, so yep. it definitely sounds like me. Um, but I think I think some of the arrangements are a little bit more interesting. Okay. Personally, I think I think that I think every musician thinks their new stuff is like the greatest thing on the planet. But okay. um, so th- is this actual? This is music you wrote after the fact. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So all of these are like new new songs. Very cool. Um. Yeah, and I like it a lot. Um, it's funny because, um, again, coming coming back to uh, my girlfriend who was being super supportive, like you should put this out, and I was like, yeah, I'm gonna make this other record too. Mm-hmm. And she's like, so, what's what's this first record about? I'm like, oh, it's about my my brother, how he passed away. She goes, what's this next record about? And I'm like, oh, it's about the end of my ten year relationship. <laughs> 
so it's another just really, really upbeat record. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. So you mentioned there in their um, I Am Who I Am, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, implies my sound is my sound. How did How long did it take you to come to that realization of when it comes to your writing that you are what you are? Yeah. And how has that been freeing in a way to realize that? Kind of. Um, I guess, like, I've always kind of tried to... I wouldn't say I have, I've never mimicked anything, because mm-hmm. I have. Right. Every every musician has. But I've never tried to be anything else. Right. So I think um, being able to just grab an idea mm-hmm. and be like, oh, that's cool how can I learn from this as opposed to like, how can I take that? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Well, right. I, I know I have friends who have been playing around forever and they do a queen show. Then they do a pink Floyd show. Mm-hmm. My one buddy, I'm going to have him on here. He does a Led Zeppelin show. He does a Beatles show every couple of months. And right. he's like learning those songs has really kind of helped me advance on my playing. Oh yeah. But I also see the, the other side of that where some writers, they are into so many different things. They're into the Blink-182, the Foo mm-hmm. Fighters, the Boys to Men thing, right. all that stuff, the mm-hmm. Richard Edwards, whatever it be. Oh, yeah. And it's all over the place. Right. Then it comes time to write, and they're like, shit. Right. What do I actually want to do? Yeah, and at that point, it's a matter of, like, I don't really think of my songwriting to be any different than like my speaking voice, if you, if that makes any sense. Like it is it just what comes out. Mm-hmm. So like what I like is just, it should be for me effortless. Yep. It should be the same as just it comes breathing, out and you know? it happens. Exactly. That's very cool. Um, not to say that writing a song is easy, but like making, I'm trying to think of how I should say it. Like the, the sound that, that ends up, or like whatever the, yeah, like the sound of the songs, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like it's kind of effortless for it to have my voice. Yeah, and so like no matter what, it's gonna sound like me. Even if I write a song that I think is gonna be like a Weezer style song, it still sounds like me. Right. That's how I hear music and how I interpret it. Right. So it goes through that filter that is you every time. Right. So So. it was just a matter of being honest with myself and just being like, this is what I like. This is what I'm going to do. It's interesting to hear you say that. Sometimes you'll write a song and it just sucks and that's okay. Right. (laughs) Right. You got to write those occasionally. Yeah. Oh, oh boy. Is that ever true? I've got a few. How many do you think you've done? That, that just suck. Yeah. Oh, I didn't, I mean, I've forgotten more songs than I've released, so... <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I asked that, and I make you dive into that, because even though I think that's hard for writers to admit, even though every writer admits it... No, I mean... I think it's one of those things that other writers who struggle with it need to hear. Right. I mean, um, in every one of those, like, stinkers that you write, there's some part of it that is great. Mm-hmm. And then usually what I'll do is, like, I'll take that part and, like... It'll it'll resurface. You'll catalog like, it for oh, later. That was cool. Mm-hmm. I am gonna use that. Yeah. On the other hand, cool. though, I've also like forgotten songs, gone through like my voice memos and been like, oh yeah, that song was great. Like, why didn't I use that? Why did I hate that? Yeah. Four years ago or four so months ago. I have like two more albums 
worth of songs that are like good and ready to record, but it's a matter of just like making sense of them and yeah, what fits where. Yeah, re-remembering them even. <laughs> How? So with the catalog of stuff you have that you haven't released, that you've, I'm assuming that a good chunk of it you've recorded to a degree. To a degree. Yeah. To a degree, mm-hmm. like whether it be voice memos or oh, stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, all of it is recorded somewhere. Of, of that ilk or that level. Mm-hmm. So how do you go about deciding in that back catalog what works for a future release and how do you then write a song and decide that it supersedes all that? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the, if I knew, man, if you knew, (laughs) I'm sure it's a case by case basis, but that's just a dilemma I've never ran into. Yeah. No, it's a, it's interesting because like, so I have these two records that I'm always writing for. I feel like, yeah. Um, and one is like a, like a traditional country record okay like i i got super into loretta lynn and patsy klein and i was just like that's what i want to do yeah that would be great so i have this chunk of songs that i keep like you know adding a song to um but then i also have this like rock record like this really kind of high intensity high energy um really fun batch of rock songs and stuff like that, like louder songs yeah. as opposed to rock songs. But, um, and then, and I keep adding to those. So I'll sit down to write for one of them and I'll be like, this doesn't sound anything like either of those. It sounds like something right in the middle. Yeah. And so that's usually songs that I end up being like, it doesn't feel gimmicky. That feels honest. Yeah. And so that'll end up on a record that <laughs> like, own. you know, so like I had all this back, catalog of whatever that i've had forever and then um and then this next record is like all of the songs that just didn't get on either of those okay (laughs) essentially that's pretty cool though that's kind of by deductive reasoning Mm -hmm. do you find the stuff that um ends up on that in between point record Mm -hmm. do you find that that's the stuff you like best yeah okay i think so that's kind of the vibe you gave me but i wanted to make sure there's still some like some gems on I think the country record especially is like it's if it feels a little um dishonest mm-hmm. a little bit to me is it is it because because you're trying to do the country thing rather because, than just let it be free does exactly. it just feel more manufactured in a way in a way in a way maybe like that's I'm, not the right I'm word tr- not that there's anything wrong for like trying to do something mm-hmm. but it's not what naturally comes out Right. So I listen to those songs and I think like that's funny. Yeah. You know, even though it's a good song. Like I'll just be like uh yeah, but it doesn't fit anywhere on this record. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm writing about really personal things, I'm not going to toss some like goofy honky tonk thing in there. Honky tonk so, in there. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Um so I so I've been like just setting them aside and um hopefully I can get around to just putting it out, but yeah. it's still pretty cool. It's kind of an interesting yeah. Almost it sounds like it's by design but almost started by accident process in a yeah. way. Yeah. That's it's just pure just like chaos, destruction and rebuilding <laughs> just constantly. Organized chaos isn't a bad thing. No. That works no, no, very no. well. People say your desk should be messy. Oh boy, is mine. Oh, all right. All right. Well, we won't dig into that cuz that seems like a road that's, you know, we don't need to go down, but mm-hmm. point taken. Right. Yeah. Um <laughs> So 
What have you been listening to lately? What's favorite things influencing oh. you or maybe not even influencing, but you just can't put down? Oh, man. Um, Tough question, I know. Yeah, because it's just, it's a lot of stuff. Um, and I, for a lot of gigs that I've had to do recently, I've had to learn a lot of music. So, like, okay. it's a matter of, like, what I've been listening to for fun. Yeah. You know? Um, on the way over here, I was listening to Casey Musgraves. Very cool. I think Golden Hour is just one of the most brilliant records that's been written in the last, I don't even know how many years. It's top to bottom. Very. Yeah, it is, there's not a bad note on that record. It's it's not just music. It's a vibe. It, I don't care yeah. how cliche or corny oh, but that sounds. That's but true, though. It's it's absolutely true. And, like, I don't know, the fact that she's a country star that can make something that... Um, can transcend to like the pop world and not like a cheesy Shania way. Not that I don't love Shania, but like it's no beef. It's like just genuinely amazing songwriting. It's not like a pop record and it's not a country record. Like it's just a great record. Right. Just great songs. Yeah. It's, it's refreshing to hear an artist do a country sort of thing like that, that can show up on pop radio Mm -hmm. and still be, country right at heart mm-hmm. um you know no beef with taylor swift or like you said like shania but right. when they get on pop radio it's not country anymore no usually or it hasn't been for a long time right it still sounds very honest and mm-hmm. um again not edited to shit man like that is that is just a very good sounding record well i find myself too like as soon as you bring that up and i say the corny it's not just music, it's a vibe. Mm-hmm. Me as a dumb Minnesota kid, yeah, I'm just like, well, it kind of feels like the perfect record to walk out to at sunset, and then it hits two plus two to me. Well, shit, right. that's what Golden Hour is. Yeah, we yeah. just don't have it here. right? Or if we do, we yeah. don't recognize mm-hmm. it as that because it's just Minnesota. Right, yeah, in, uh, in the winter, it's pretty much the Golden Hour all day long. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> just... Or something. White, or, or, sad, yeah, death. It's, it's either sunrise <laughs> or sunset, and there's no the sun's just not out. Nope. So nope. When in about March, we'll get a pink sky again. Mm-hmm. It'll be great. Hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah. But yeah. So that's a good one. That's a good example. Yeah, I really like that record a lot. And I've also been listening to um, a local. Oh, he's from Eau Claire, but he does a lot of stuff here too. His name's um, Shane Leonard. Okay. Um, he's he has an album that came out this past year called Strange Forms. Very cool. And it's amazing. It okay. is so good. Any specific track, if you could send people that way, that you would... The opening track, Strange Forms, is it's the title track, and it's great. Okay. Um, the lyrics and everything, there's... Um, I don't know. There's really not a bad song on that record either. Yeah? Yeah. It's, uh, it's, really, it's a really fascinating record. But I think like the first... The first half of the record is is kind of more of like the pop jams for very for the cool. record. Like it's not a very poppy record, but it does have like a very approachable first half and then it gets like more of like a deep listening kind of thing in the middle yeah. and then it ends really strong again too. But it's it's just great front to back. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if there's one song off of Devastator that you wanted to be the song that people listen to first mm-hmm. what would it be uh throw and shade it was throw the first, shade. first track on the record it's a very good track it's a strong starter yeah i think so i think it's it's a catchy one 
Yeah. Which, um, but it also sets the tone for the whole record too. Like lyrically, it doesn't so much. I don't think, because I wrote that before. Yeah, that like one was brother. out for a while. Yeah, I wrote that before my brother passed. Um, okay. And so like that was just kind of a pretty biographical thing, mm-hmm. um, where. Well, where like you know I was just hung over one morning and the I don't want to go back like that was just in my head and I was like oh I, I should toss that I in somewhere use that yeah I should probably write a song right now and then that's what came out very cool yeah alrighty well that is perfect I think we're about at time um cool. everybody go check out Devastator on Spotify or Apple Music or wherever you're doing that stuff. I don't know what people listen to on stuff on anymore. Um, <laughs> title. Yeah, title. Title. They're Probably. supporting the artist. Um, right. I'm told. Yeah, I don't know. I'm on there, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, check out title. Yeah. If it's not there, go somewhere else. <laughs> we think it's there. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Nick. Yeah, thank you. Get me.